Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks this day for your word for us, that it might stir in us something new, and that we might be changed by our time together, that we would go into the world having been transformed. Amen. I wonder if you have people in your life and who those people might be, the people who you can be completely yourself around without any pretense or worry. I'm sure that you have or you've had those people in your life, the people who know you so well that you don't even bother trying to be something different than your true self. In so much of our life, we wear, we wear various masks, and yet I know there, are, there must be relationships where you can simply be who you are. This will mean different things for different people. For some, it means going without the regular makeup that everyone sees you wearing, or, or maybe your hair done uh, just right or just the way that you want to be seen, or worrying less about what you're wearing, that sort of thing. I think these are outward signs. They're outward signs that are perhaps the most obvious. But these are also often the people we level with the ones we're comfortable sharing our fears or our worries with. They're also often the ones we go to with our excitement when we have good news, our joys. They're the people we want around us when we're both celebrating and mourning. Sometimes we say, these are my people, right? They're also the people who can level with us, though, when we've done something hurtful or we need a course correction in our lives. They're often the people who see us and who genuinely know our truth, our intentions. They're the ones who can get us back on track. I remember when I was moving away several moves ago and I was leaving behind some friends, I was terrified that I would lose this couple who was so close to me that I would lose them as friends, and I couldn't imagine how sad that would be, and I shared this fear with them. And the response from my friends was one I'll never forget. Essentially, they looked at me and they said, it doesn't work that way. Like it or not, you've got us forever. I wonder, again, do you know this kind of relationship? They certainly don't come along often, but there's a depth and a strength to them. A commitment that stretches beyond distance and runs deep. And I use that word, commitment, but it usually doesn't feel like a commitment, if you know what I mean. It feels more like an inescapable bond beyond choice. And this inescapable uh, bond is part of what makes it possible for those people to be the ones who can speak truth to us, who can level with us, who can speak truth into our lives even when it's hard to do. And the further wonder is that somehow these relationships that already have that strong foundation can be strengthened through those difficult moments, through the adversities, the confrontations, the arguments, the challenges, just as much as we're strengthened through sharing our joys and our celebrations with them. In our gospel lesson this morning that Matt read for us, Jesus is talking to the growing number of disciples the people who've already heard and connected to Jesus, the ones who have been influenced by his teaching but also touched by his presence in their lives. 
In our text, it says that power came out of Jesus. Did you hear that phrase when he said it? Power came out of Jesus. Now, at the beginning of this text, right when it starts, there's this large crowd gathered. And the large crowd it says, contained people from Judea and Jerusalem. These were the people that we might expect. These were the people of Jewish, uh, Jewish cultures. But there were also people from foreign places, Gentiles, people who were different from Tyre and Sidon, it says in our text. And these crowds, this large crowd, was divided a little bit further by Luke. Luke says that some of them, and we don't know how many of them, are disciples so there's this large crowd, a multitude from all these different places, and then there's this group of disciples. In the immediate, uh, immediately prior section in Luke's gospel is when Jesus is calling the, the 12 disciples, who, who Luke calls the apostles. So we know that there's this group of the 12 apostles, and they are part of this group of disciples. So it's something more, something larger than the 12 apostles. And this larger group has been following Jesus. And they've been experiencing this power coming from Jesus. The disciples are the ones who've made a commitment, uh, a commitment to walk with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, and to experience that power coming from Jesus. They've been changed, transformed. They're the ones who've left their old ways behind and followed Jesus. In the case of the, the apostles, many of them literally dropped their nets and followed Jesus. But for all of these disciples, the understanding was at that time that they left something to be the ones who were following Jesus. They are bound together with their friends along the way, these, these other disciples. They're the ones who are going to remain with Jesus when he's arrested and he's persecuted, they're going to be the, among the first to spread the message of Jesus following the resurrection. These are the ones who are walking alongside Jesus. This is the group that Jesus changes in this text in our lesson and speaks to. So he's not just speaking to this general large crowd. He's now speaking to this group of disciples, the ones, again, who are committed. He looks at his fully committed, close friends, the ones, again, who've dropped their nets and left everything behind, and he levels with them. He's speaking to the people who've committed themselves, and he's speaking about what it means to be in relationship with God, to be a disciple. So let's take a closer look at these words of Jesus. But, but first, it's helpful to understand the way that Luke is placing this sermon within his gospel. He's presenting the words of Jesus as being directed toward those who are already with him. And again, this is important because we're talking about instructions, but also invitations and also some promises. This text is called the Sermon on the Plain, not as in an airplane, but a, a plain as in a flat level place. Interestingly, the teachings in this section may have sounded a little bit familiar to you because it's very similar to the teachings of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. And those teachings, and together with these ones, we refer to them as the Beatitudes, right? The Beatitudes. And they're contained in Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the, where? The Mount, the Sermon on the Mount, a high place. And they take place up on a mountain in Matthew's gospel. 
Now, there's some interesting symbolism going on here with these differences. We've, we've talked before about Matthew's gospel being a presentation of Jesus as a new Moses, and his role and characteristics in many ways follow the pattern of Moses. And like Moses, who went atop a mountain to receive the Ten Commandments and other laws, it's where he would talk to God. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is seen as bringing rules for living to the people. So it, it makes sense that in, in Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, it would take place up on that high place. And Jesus does just that. He brings these beatitudes in a form that looks a lot like some of the corresponding teachings of Moses also and teachings from other parts of the Old Testament. This would make sense for this Jewish audience of Matthew's gospel. But here in the Sermon on the Plain, or the level place, Jesus is also bringing these instructions or rules. But he's also bringing some warnings. The Beatitudes aren't exactly the same in Matthew and Luke. You can set them side by side and look at them, and they're not the same. And certainly the setting is different. There has been a lot of question over the centuries about why in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel are there these differences, difference of location, difference in what's been said. Did one of them misunderstand what was happening? Uh, did the stories get lost in translation? What happened? Was it intentional that the, there was a change made there? The, the most compelling expl explanation I've found is that there are likely a couple of things going on here. Yes, their audiences of the gospel writers are different. Matthew's audience is primarily Jewish, and the imagery of Moses would have helped them to explain or understand the importance of the Sermon on the Mount. And Luke's audience was a mixed audience, so other details might have been emphasized. Theologian N.T. Wright, though, often, he often writes that we shouldn't be bothered by these differences, in part because the differences could also be showing that similar or consistent things happened multiple ways at different times. Both the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus going to a high place and teaching to people, uh, all the people who were gathered in that, uh, in that story, and this Sermon on the Plain, a message to a group of disciples, the close ones, the followers of Jesus, a different audience. He says both of these very likely could have occurred at different times, different times in which Jesus tailored the consistent messages to these different audiences. These, these two sermons, while they both contain some form of beatitudes or blessings, they're different from one another, both in who they say is blessed and because Luke also includes these corresponding woes, the woes. And the woes are a bit unsettling. And I think that's part of why when we hear the Beatitudes taught or preached, they're almost exclusively taught from Matthew's gospel. The Sermon on the Mount is far more well-known to people than the Sermon on the Plain. The Sermon on the Plain, where Jesus levels with his disciples and he presents blessings alongside woes. These blessings and woes are directed at the disciples. And because you and I are considered, in the tradition of our faith and the church, considered to be their successors, the, the successors of the disciples, they're directed at us as well. There's some importance here. Because Jesus is making these observations, presumably, for people who are part 
of his growing inner circle, the friends who aren't going to run away at hearing these difficult words. Jesus is saying things as he sees them. He's speaking truth in a way that can really only be spoken when there is relationship, and at that, the sort of relationship where there's a deep connection. Jesus is leveling on the level with them and with us. So, what does he say? Jesus declares these blessings, these statements of of being in a state of happiness. That's another way to put it. Happy or blessed are the poor, he says, the hungry and those who weep. And blessed and happy are you when people hate you and despise you and exclude you and revile you and defame you on account of Jesus. Jesus is elevating. He's elevating the ones that society has repeatedly deemed are the lowly ones. He's changing the understanding of where value lies, and this is not new in Luke's gospel. It is not new in Luke's presentation of Jesus. Let's go back to to Jesus in the womb when Mary declares the Magnificat, and what does she say? She says that this one inside her womb is going to be one who will lift up the lowly, who will fill the hungry with good things, who will turn the tables on society. And then when Jesus makes his first speech in the synagogue, you might remember this from a couple of weeks ago. A few weeks ago in our text, we read that Jesus says, I'm going to bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, and let the oppressed go free. This is not a new message. And it's it's a message that we can't separate from Jesus. And in case we thought we could, here we get it a third time. Here we are again in one of the earliest extended speeches of Jesus. And here Jesus is again, in case it wasn't clear yet, he's declaring that God cares for, God loves, God calls blessed those who are poor, rejected, hungry, excluded. Luke seems to make it clear that those who are without Those who are without, those who are are without are also without distraction. They're without distractions of wealth or possessions or even comfort. Those who are without are the ones who are most clearly able to experience God's abundance. It is as though, and this becomes even more clear in these woes that we're going to get to, it is as though when we focus on filling our lives with the things of this world, we make less and less room for God's abundance in our lives. God doesn't like to compete with our worldly desires. And these woes that correspond to the blessings bring this home. Luke is pairing the blessings with the woes to emphasize the way that Jesus is presenting the kingdom of God. The poor are contrasted with the rich. The hungry are contrasted with the full. The weeping are contrasted with the laughing. And the hated and marginalized are contrasted with the false prophets who elevate themselves. So, together, these blessings and woes emphasize this message that Jesus is bringing to those who seek to follow him. Jesus is spelling out, he's spelling out what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be someone who wants to experience God's kingdom in the here and now. We prayed it earlier, right? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. When, when that is what we desire, 
and that is what we desire, then God shows us what it looks like. And for those who want to experience the kingdom, it means listening to Jesus' warning. His warning against being so preoccupied with filling our lives with material things of this world that we leave no room for experiencing God. To listen and to follow this Sermon on the Plain means that we are seeking the kingdom of God in our lives and in our community, and it means an examination of how and where our energy goes, where our heart lies. God is continually calling us. We, we hear this over and over again in Scripture. God is continually calling us to learn what it means to live lives where God is at the center, where God is at the center. This is what discipleship is. This is what true discipleship is. And so this is a text of, of reorientation, of focusing ourselves on God in all of our relationships, in our approach to the world and how we look at societal injustices and economic disparities, a reorientation from the self-centeredness and self-protectionism that dominates much of our society, and it's a countercultural reorientation to God as God seeks us out as ones to usher in God's kingdom in the here and now, through the way we love, through the way we tend to those whom God tends, the poor, those who weep, the hungry, those who are rejected by society. During this time, Jesus has been traveling around. He's introduced his mission. He's healed people. He's gathered great crowds and as I said, our text says that power came out from him. They heard his words, and they saw all that he had done, and they followed him. And everything they are seeing and hearing and all that he is doing, all of that continues to be what is seen and heard today when the people of God seek to be the ones that God has called them to be, called us to be. Disciples, followers, lovers of God above all other things. And for us, for us perhaps, more than anything else, it means being lovers of the ones that Jesus calls blessed. Loving the ones Jesus loves. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.